Welcome to Oplan Plaza Talks, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode focuses on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. Today we're bringing a conversation between Dr. Patrick Reyes and Robin Owens about meaning and purpose. For more information about today's episode, please visit us at htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to ACI Open Plaza podcast. My name is Dr. Patrick Reyes. I'm the Senior Director of Learn Design at the Forum for Theological Exploration, ACI Book Prize winner from a couple of years ago. And so grateful I got the one, the only Robin Owens with me to talk about meaning and purpose. We're probably two, you know, only meaning and purpose junkies in the entire country, but I'm excited about this conversation. Robin, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, Patrick. I'm glad to be here with you and everybody who's listening. Cool. Well, Robin, let's start, you know, in, in my work, at least, we always start before we get to the what or the why of our work, we start with the who. So tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, where, and go back to the beginning. Tell us about where you grew up, your family. T- tell us, give us something with, that's off the record. <laughs> okay, long, long ago in a land far, far away, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me say, uh, I'm, I always tell people I'm from the great state of Connecticut. I always start with that. And they say, why do you call Connecticut great? And I say, because I'm from there. <laughs> but it's always <laughs> a way, it's a way for me to honor, you know, where I'm from. I live in Los Angeles now, but I grew up in Connecticut in a small uh, mid-sized uh, city. And so I feel like I'm a small town girl at heart. And I grew up surrounded by this huge extended family, lots of cousins and extended um second, third, fourth, fifth cousins and aunts and uncles. It was fantastic. I loved it. And I was the kind of child that needed to get away sometimes from all the people and just have some quiet. And one of the stories that I distinctly remember, I grew up in this three family house. So we're in Connecticut and the houses are divided into, it looks like one big house on the outside, but it's divided into three individual units. So the cousins, my parents owned the home and my cousins and everybody lived in the other floors. And so I remember one summer going out to the front porch. It was a big porch on the front of the house. And I was just sitting out there, you know, just thinking, having some time to myself, right? And I hear the kids inside playing and my father's with them and they're about to come out to the porch. And he says, don't go out there and bother Robin. She's out there contemplating the meaning of life. And then he laughed. He thought this was a big joke, right? And they all laughed. And I felt embarrassed because I heard them laughing. And so I kind of felt like a weird kid. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, my goodness, he was right. <laughs> I was always thinking about the big questions of life. And he, he encapsulated by saying she's contemplating the meaning of life. And so it's interesting that all these years later, although, you know, I'm a college professor by day, when I'm not doing that, I'm teaching people about purpose. That's so, that's so amazing. And I just have to say, as someone who was labeled the weird kid, I think I grew up to be a weird adult too. So that never really quite goes away, especially if you stick with meaning and purpose. But I'm curious about where that curiosity led you in your research. Tell us about what that, how this big question stuff shows up and what you uh, write and research about. Yeah, it shows up in so many ways. I mean, throughout my life, 
you know, looking back, I, I was that youth that we say weird kid, but being different and concerned about what does it all mean and what is life about? And I had some defining moments like we all do. We have these big events in our lives that something will happen and it'll shift us in some way. So I had a, a couple of those moments. Um, the earliest one I had this house that I told you about. Um, so the family, we grew up in the house. And when I was about 22 years old, the house was completely destroyed by fire. Uh, it just went up in flames and just, we don't even know what happened. I remember the day very vividly. I was coming home from the mall with my friend and this little kid from the neighborhood ran up and said, Robin, your house is on fire. And I didn't really know what he was talking about at first. And then we drove a little further. And when we were about a block away, we could see that the entire house was engulfed in flames. So we jumped out of the car because the, the, you know, the street was blocked off. The fire department was there already. And by the time we got to the corner, people were standing around just looking at the house, all my family out there and everybody was crying. I was going through the crowd looking for my mother and everybody was okay, thank God. Everybody, nobody hurt, nobody harmed. The house was destroyed. Standing there on the corner and nowhere to go. No ID. I mean, for the people who were in the house, no ID, nothing, you know. So out of nowhere, a woman appears and she says, do you have anywhere to go? And we said, no, my, she's asking me and my mother, my mother and me. And we said, no. And she said, well, I'm from the uh, American Red Cross and we could help you get situated in a hotel for the night or a few days until you can, you know, find another home. And so she did that and we had, you know, safety until we can find another home. Now, fast forward. Now I'm talking about defining moments in life and how they, they uh, lead to these, these ideas and questions about meaning in your life. This is one that I could track. All right. So five years later or so, I'm working in a bank, I'm in a leadership role. And in that role, they say to me uh, and others like me, there's a nonprofit called United Way and they have a program called the Loaned Executive Program. We want you to go there and do the work that they ask you to do for a few months. This is our contribution to United Way. This is what the bank said. So I go to United Way and they give me a list of organizations in the area, go talk to these companies, tell them about United Way and basically raise funds for United Way. So I realized when I was learning about the organizations that they supported, the American Red Cross was one of them. And so I remember the story of the woman from the American Red Cross and how they helped us out. So I, took, I told that story as I went around to the organizations to help raise funds for United Way. And I discovered, oh my goodness, I love speaking to people. I love sharing my story and doing it in a way that I felt was really making a difference because American Red Cross made a difference for me. I thought they could make a difference for someone else. Loved it. Then I had to go back to my regular duties. Ah, oh, I found love and lost it. I had found my purpose and lost it because there was so much fulfillment in that work and it used a lot of my gifts and my natural abilities and my values. So I go back and I'm there and I'm like completely unfulfilled. 
and I realized this is what unfulfillment is. I'll have to go back and find it in some way. So that set me on a path. I ended up leaving that position to find the sense of fulfillment that I had lost then. So literally my purpose rose up from the ashes of that fire. I'm, I mean, I have to ask after you're out of the ashes and you see this sense of purpose, I mean, so many people who have discerned their purpose don't get like the AB that time between that, like, you know, it's not the doors all open. Everyone says affirms it. You got the job. Here's the salary you wanted, the house you wanted, all stuff that checks the box. Tell us a little bit about the journey to achieving that purpose to seeing it and then working towards that goal. What was that process like? Yeah, from that point on, I went because, you know, of course, in the moment, I just knew that I felt fulfilled. And so then I went on to find how to recreate that. So I put the pieces together. What were the components of that experience that made it meaningful for me? And over a period of time, so now that we're jumping forward years, right? Years, I discovered there were three things in that, four things actually. It involved something, one of my passions. It involved a critical value of mine, those things that really matter to me. It involved doing something that came naturally easily to me to do, my natural abilities, and I could do them well. And it was in service to someone other than myself. So I learned those four components, and that's the thing I was looking for, and that's the thing that brought it all together and made it work. And that's the thing I now have today. And even in my doctoral program, um, there was a component of it that I looked at women in leadership and how if their journey mimicked my journey. <laughs> and did they have those, those components in the work that they were doing in the work that I would consider to be their purpose. And so those are some of the ways that the journey tracked itself. Robin, that's amazing. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about what you do with adversity then? You know, when a fire happens in the middle of that journey, as we're, you know, pick up on this theme of the fire, what, how do you coach the students you work with or the, uh, the people you work with in your research to really deal with those times that where there are real barriers as a person of color, as Latinos, as African-American folks in this country, there are real barriers to achieving our purpose. So uh, what do you do with adversity? Yeah, adversity is, like you say, Patrick, you're absolutely right. It's all around us, right? We feel it at different times and to different uh, extents. Okay, so I'll give you an example from my experience. I teach at a local university here in Los Angeles. And about six months before the pandemic became really huge and things started closing down in March of 2020. So about six months before that, the university where I teach had a fire, speaking of fire, you know, in the hills of California, probably most folks have heard in the news and, the, you know, the fires. So one of those fires um, found its way to our campus and the students had to be evacuated in the middle of the night and part of the, some of the smaller buildings of the campus were burned. So we, we survived, no one was hurt and we kind of moved students around and classes around Fortunately, we had another campus that we could use. Our first day back, I, had a, I was teaching a first year seminar. And this is to your question about adversity. 
I wanted to empower the students to think about how to manage themselves. Now, these were students who in their first year of college, their first semester of their first year of college, and they have this tragedy on their campus. This was supposed to be a time when like they waited all their high school years, I, I have arrived, and this is the time of my life, and this is the thing now that's happening to me, right? So I wanted to help them understand how to empower themselves in experiences like this and further. So we did a variety of exercises to help them share from their own wisdom how they survived. And then across the common themes, what I discovered and I pointed out to them was, because some said, well, you know, I, I talked to my friends or really when I went back to work at the library, it helped me out to be engaged with supportive colleagues or my, I spent more time with my family. So I said to them, what you each have in common is during this time of adversity, you relied on the support of others. People you love, people you work with, it all comes down to people. And I said to them, unbeknownst to what was gonna happen next in the next six months, I said to them, this is something that happened in your early life, unfortunately in your first year of college, but this is the way life is. There are gonna be times when everything is going well, and there are gonna be times when some sort of adversity is gonna hit. And what you did to survive this one by connecting with people and the strategies that you used all had to do with people. You'll have to do that again when adversity hits. It's all about having these tools of support. And then who knew six months later, they would have a similar experience, uh, even more tragic experience with the pandemic. But to your point, Patrick, adversity, it really comes down to the support of people, whoever those people are. In the end, if we didn't learn anything else from the pandemic, with people risking their lives because they wanted to be around people, you know, we take it for granted, I believe, the value, because, you know, people are people and, and we can take them for granted and we can think about the things we don't like and the things that, that the ways that, you know, we disagree with them, but in the end, if you have some people in some way who are supporting you, that is the key to move on through any adversity, in my experience and in my opinion. I mean, it, that absolutely tracks in the, my first book. I really wrote about vocation or call or meaning and purpose as, as a call to life to call to survive. And in the new one, the purpose gap, I really moved to this. How do we create conditions for communities to thrive? How do we think about as I was doing my own reflection, kind of similar around like, oh, this is this is not just about me. It's about my kids. It's about my ancestors, about the whole community. And so I'm wondering, as you had those four steps for or the four things to keep in mind for finding purpose, what are some things that you're thinking about in terms of students that you're working with who've gone through adversity together, really coming out the other side, thriving together? What are some things about creating conditions for communities to thrive or people to thrive or a, a local space. These, these young people and these undergraduate who are caught in this little fire and pandemic together for these short amount of uh, years together, how do they find meaning and purpose together? Yeah, in, in community, you mentioned the word community and it is community with the support of each other. They created their own. And here's an example from that first fire that um, they, said, yeah, I shared, you know, I didn't have anything. I couldn't get back to my dorm. So I had, I didn't have any clothes and I borrowed clothes from my friends. 
I mean, this sense of community, they would have never done anything like that before. <laughs> Where it, cause they had to go to class now because, you know, life was going on and, you know, they didn't have their computer or they didn't have their book and they had to rely on other people. So I think broadening this sense of what community is and how community can be engaged uh, is a way that I will always, always encourage them. Even from that experience, the students that I'm speaking to now, and as I go forward, uh, encourage them to think about different ways of being in community and what that means to them. That's fantastic. How do you also, I'm curious, how do you help these young people think about, you mentioned a real important component around like, this is a two, this is a, you know, first couple of years in here, this is college, it's a small window in your lifetime. How do you help people think about age and stage? I mean, I know so many of the listeners to the Open Plaza are, some are doctoral students, some are mid-career faculty members, but every single stage presents new opportunities, new challenges. You know, how do you help folks think through, okay, this is what I call, like you said, I, I've been thinking about this all high school. I'm going to college. This is my time now, but we all know that college ends at some point, and then you have another thing. So how do you help people think through the stages and take the lessons they learned from the previous stage forward as they, as they live their life? Yeah, that's a great question. I love that question. And I, I particularly enjoy helping people through transitions and stages. And it goes back to those four things I said. Now, I said them very simply, but they're, they're, they take some thought and they're profound and complex. So let's, let's start. I said your natural abilities, right? I think when we're going through these stages, it's time to reassess these four things. Your natural ability, how, to what degree are you doing things that come naturally to you easily and you're good at? Because we take it for granted, especially those of us in the academy. We have so many gifts. I mean, just the gift of intellect. If I say that to someone right now, they're probably shocked. Wait, what? That's a gift? <laughs> you know, in a place where most people, uh, a large majority of the population, and this is no judgment, a large majority of the population does not get through high school. There takes, there's a gift for reading, writing, and understanding in the ways that we do it, right? And that's just an example of something that we take for granted. So this gift of in, intellect, but other natural abilities. So do an assessment. To what extent am I using my natural abilities at this phase, at this stage? A combination of things, my natural abilities. To what extent am I doing the things that I love, that I have some passion around? To what extent am I doing the things that really matter to me? What are my values and what really matters to me? And to what extent am I using a combination of those three things in service to someone or something other than myself? Now, if, you lost, if you've lost sight of some of those, then this is where that unfulfillment creeps in. But if you have a combination of those going at this phase, or as you move into another stage, it keeps the fulfillment going. It keeps the meaning going. That's, you know, that's just incredible to me to think about how we transition in these. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with one of our faculty at FTE, Adam Bond, who said, in his library at the institution he serves, he's got like a small section where he's archiving his stuff, you know, like papers and all kinds of things about his piece. And when we talked about this communal piece, he said, you know, I realized I'm actually 
I shouldn't just be archiving my stuff. What I see is a whole several shelves that are empty from my community. And I should be thinking more strategically about what are the things that I gather for over a course of lifetime. So I'm building the legacy that when someone needs what we've learned, these lessons we've learned around life, that are not just mine, that are also the communities, that they know where to find them in the library. I, I'm curious about what, sticking with Adam's metaphor here, what are you leaving? What What is your legacy and your community's legacy? What are you leaving in those archives of an institution? You know, this is a figurative one, unless you have a literal archive. That's so I would totally be interested in hearing about that too. But what are these pieces? Because these four lessons, I mean, that's like, that's gold. I mean, I think everyone um, who's listening would benefit from that. Yeah, and what else I, from your community are you doing? I appreciate you saying that. And I love the idea of an archive. I don't have one, but hmm, something to think about. <laughs> In terms of a legacy and leaving though, the, the those four um, sort of steps that I just mentioned to you, I am um, cataloging them in a book that I am currently finishing up. And so it is a guide to, I call it an inspirational guide for more meaning, purpose, and passion. And it, it demonstrates a system of making decisions so you're always in alignment with your purpose and you always have meaning. And so now the working title of that book is Purpose-Based Decisions. Purpose-Based Decisions. And so that is a, a form of archive and legacy. And I teach that, I teach that now outside of the university setting. Um, I work with people who are going through transition who are stuck or who are, or are missing um, fulfillment in their work. So I work with them one-on-one -on -one and uh, the book will come out when it comes out <laughs> and it will be a form of uh, archive or legacy. And if someone who's listening to Open Plaza wants to learn more about your work in the meantime, while the book comes out, when it comes out as you're, as you're developing it, where would they go to get in contact with you to learn more about how, how you're working through these questions of meaning and purpose and maybe connect their own work? Yeah, they could, they could contact me at robinlowens.com. And if they want to talk to me further about it, I'm, I'm giving a gift or I'm giving a gift to people for 30 minutes, a strategy session on how to get started on those four things that I just mentioned. So they can go to robinlowens.com forward slash gift. robinlowens.com forward slash gift. And I say gift because I just mentioned how it's important to serve and to give. And so for me to give a 30 minute uh, jump start and strategy on how you can move forward in those those four steps, that will be the time and place to do it. So robinlowens.com forward slash gift. My gift to your listeners. Ben, fantastic. I, I just want to thank you so much from uh, my people and from my location, the, just the gift of time that you've already given us, the gift of presence, uh, the four kind of moving. I know I'm going to be thinking about the things I'm naturally good at because I'm not naturally good at much. So I need to, I need to get clear about that. <laughs> but the other passions and the, the work, I mean, I just think this is what you're doing is life-changing for so many of us. So thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, for those who are listening, I mean, some of y'all know me, you know, check out the purpose gap is a new book. It's on this topic as well. 
get that JK press. Um, so Robin, is there anything else you wanted to lift up before we get off this call? I mean, this has been life-giving for me. I'm glad to hear that. And you know, Patrick, I have to resist saying you said you, there's not many things you're good at. I could probably list 20 things right off the top of my head, but I will save <laughs> us time. I will save us time. And uh, you can jump up. We can jump on that 30 minutes if you want. And I'll just remind you of those things. Uh, we all have them and we decided them. So that's all. I just wanted to honor you and the gifts that you bring by saying that. And thank you for your time here. This has been a um, thoughtful, insightful conversation. I really appreciate your presence and what you bring in the work you're doing in your book and other work. So thank you. Yeah, Robin, thank you so much. And thank you for the listeners for joining us at Open Plaza. And if uh, it's been great to talk to you, Robin. Um, yeah, please listen. Uh, check out Open Plaza. The other, I was listening to past episodes. This is a fantastic podcast. Uh, share with a friend. Uh, Robin, thank you. And, and just I hope everyone is finding meaning and purpose in their lives. And if you're not, hit up Robin. She just offered a gift. So thank you so much. And we'll see you on another episode of Open Plaza. Thank you, Patrick. And bye, everybody. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.